This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. It is not recommended for the very young or for people who are prone to nightmares. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hi, it's Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, welcome to your Boo Crew Podcast, episode 388. Thank you so much for choosing to spend some of your time with us, an honor we do not take lightly. This week on the show, at time of release, we're going back to June 2nd to a convention called Monster Palooza that happens out here in Pasadena, where I had the tremendous honor of hosting the 20th anniversary of Freddy vs. Jason panel, featuring a conversation with Jason Voorhees himself, Ken Kurzinger. Before we check that out, let's take a quick look at This Week in Horror. New on DVD and Blu-ray, two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing, and all of the windows and doors have disappeared. Skinamarink is now available to haunt your house. New on VOD, Friday, June 23rd, after a limited theatrical run, a brilliant teenager believes death is a curable disease. After the brutal murder of her brother, she goes on a journey to bring him back to life. Bomani J Story brings you the angry black girl and her monster. New in horror video games, Burnhouse Lane arrives June 29th for consoles. Tells the story of Angie Weather, an agency nurse who must complete five impossible tasks in order to win her life back. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the game, is going to hit stores August 18th. There are some astonishing gameplay videos online now that'll give you a taste of the experience in store for you, including voice acting courtesy of Scout Compton, Christina Cleave, Sean Whalen, and Kane Hodder. Rave reviews. This game looks like you're playing the movie. At your comic shop, brand new Incredible Hulk series begins this week, sending Hulk back to the age of monsters where Hulk and Bruce Banner must try to stop the world from getting plunged into darkness. And Severed Headlines head to YouTube to watch a horror short that is the talk of the internet these past few weeks. Curry Barker's award-winning The Chair. It's 24 minutes long about the events that occur after someone brings home an antique chair. Heading over to the comments section, you will see its creepy praises being sung, including this was the scariest, most unsettling horror movie I've ever seen. At time of talking about it, it's racked up to almost a million views. Taking a journey to the upside down now, it was announced that Linda Hamilton will join the cast of Stranger Things 5, which is set to be the final season of the hit Netflix series. Natasha Henstridge is in production in England for Cinderella's Revenge, directed by Andy Edwards from Zombie Spring Breakers. It follows the wicked stepsisters and stepmother as they push Cinderella too far as she pursues a blood-soaked revenge with the help of her fairy godmother. We are all about this. And Fetty Alvarez's contribution to the Alien franchise gets a release date of August 16th, 2024. No official title at time of recording this, but we are incredibly excited. Leading the cast is Kaylee Spaney, David Johnson, and Eileen Wu. It's being described as an original standalone feature co-written by Fetty and Roto Siagues. For more on these stories and for all your horror news, it is always Bloody Disgusting.com. On with the show for this week in my conversation with Ken Kurzinger, who played Jason in 2003's Freddy vs. Jason. Hear the story of how he ended up behind the mask, the secrets behind the film's most iconic moments and stunts, the rumored planned sequel crossing over with the Evil Dead franchise, and so much more. Episode 388 with Ken Kurzinger, live from Monsterpalooza, and 20 years of Freddy vs. Jason is now slaying. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Good evening, Friday night Monster Palusians. Right on. Uh, Perry Shields here. I'm so happy to introduce our next panel. Thank you for being here. Thank you for waiting. Uh, I'm going to bring out uh, Trevor Shand of the Boo Crew podcast, who's going to moderate our Freddy vs. Jason panel. Trevor! Hey, everybody. 
Wow, you guys. All right. Well, welcome to Monster Palooza 2023, everyone. I look forward to this every damn year. It's so awesome that it's back, guys. All right. So my name is Trevor Shan. I'm one of the co-hosts of Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew podcast. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. So back in August of 2003, two of horror's biggest icons were pitted against each other in a blood-soaked death match that, of course, made movie history. It was a massive success. It topped the box office twice, two weekends in a row, and is the highest-grossing entry in either of the franchises. It took about two decades to make this movie, eventually landed in the hands of a director named Ronnie Yu. We're here to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Freddy vs. Jason, everybody. So, of course, uh, or maybe some of you haven't heard, but unfortunately, Mr. Robert England had to cancel. He's going to be all right, and he uh, extends his, his uh, gracious thanks to everybody here, and he hopes to see you all again soon, and he will. But really, actually, it's because Jason kicked his ass so bad that he's, he's hiding in the bathroom, and we can't get him out. Anyway, all right. So, our incredibly special guest tonight, this is a really, really huge one. He's a prolific actor and performer who's behind a long history of film and TV's most memorable and powerful moments that you might not even be aware of. Nearly 200 projects under this guy's belt. Uh, an adventure of the very best in cinema. He's traumatized us all. If you go back to the original It miniseries, Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet, the X-Men films, Watchmen, The Cabin in the Woods. He served as a stunt coordinator for the 16-time Emmy-winning TV show X-Files, if anyone's heard of that. Joel Silver and Robert Zemeckis's 13 Ghosts, and uh, alongside director Chris Nolan. So he's done it all with the biggest in Hollywood. As an actor, he shows up in everything from the Oscar-winning Legends of the Fall to Ace Ventura, Supernatural, Wrong Turn 2, Joyride 3, and dozens and dozens more. After crafting thrilling action scenes for Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason takes Manhattan, even getting behind the mask himself for a few scenes, making him the only other person in the history of the Friday the 13th movies to ever play Jason more than one time. An honor that he uh, got when he received the role of Jason Voorhees in Freddy vs. Jason. So it is my esteemed honor to welcome Ken Kersinger to the stage. Hello, Pasadena. Thank you, my man, so much for joining us. This is awesome. I just found out that we, I, I, while looking into your past history, uh, I found out that you were born in Saskatchewan, which is where I'm from, randomly enough. That, that is so weird. Right. Because uh, not a lot of people come from Saskatchewan. Exactly, or even can pronounce it or know where the hell it is. So that's really cool. So I guess just starting off, growing up in your formative years, what was your relationship like to the horror genre? What were the first horror movie you saw, maybe, and how did it make you feel? I, I, I was one of those kids who <clears throat> snuck out of bed late at night for a thriller, chiller theater at 11 o'clock or at night and, and uh, turned the TV on. Of course, we didn't have headsets, so I'd have to keep the volume really, really low and sit about six inches from the, the screen so my parents wouldn't wake up and find out that I was out of bed. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've watched uh, uh, all the old horror movies uh, growing up. I think uh, The Fly was one that really uh, scared me most or sticks out in my memory. Um, and then, uh, you know, I just, as time went on, I don't know, I, I got into horror working in horror films and stuff like that, mostly because of my size, because I was always in costume of some kind. Uh, you know, I've played a werewolf, I've played a Sasquatch, I've been robots, I've been uh, zombies, uh, so uh, that helped. My, I, I always say it's, my, it's a gift and it's a curse to be this tall. You bang your head a lot, but it gets you work. <laughs> what was the first time you experienced a Friday the 13th movie? Well, I think I was like everybody else. I mean, as they came out, because I'm of that age group, uh, you know, I would watch them as they came out. And uh, I was a fan of the Friday the 13th franchise growing up. And, and uh, like I said, I loved horror. I kind of switched a little bit as I got older, you know, uh, later on in years and stuff into sci-fi and stuff. But uh, I mean, horror's got such an awesome history and, and uh you know, it's such a great genre of movie, and you can see the popularity of it. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. How about Nightmare on Elm Street? When was the first time you saw an Elm Street movie? Which one was it that you saw? Did you I, see the first one? I, I watched Nightmare on Elm Street. I think it, I saw it in the theater. And uh, I ended up, actually, the fellow that did the uh, special effects for... Uh, 
Freddy, or for uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, did the special effects for um, Jason Takes Manhattan. So I got to work with him on that, and that was a great experience. He had done, accomplished so much. He got so much notoriety uh, early in his career because of Elm Street. Sure, sure. Yeah, they broke so much ground. Yes. What about getting into showbiz yourself and your path towards becoming a stuntman? So, <laughs> uh, when I was really young, probably about 11 or 12 years old, I read a, an, uh, an article about a very famous stuntman called Hal Needham. And uh, I, I think I decided right then and there that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I think my mother wanted to slap me. <laughs> but it was always at the back of my head. And when I was in university, I was playing uh, college football and I, I wrecked my knee playing football. And, and so I decided, all right, I'm going to look into becoming a stuntman. And I came down to Los Angeles and my sister was living in Los Angeles at the time. And her next door neighbor was the property master on the old Fall Guy TV series. Cool. So I ended up getting to uh, uh, meet him, and he gave me the phone number of a stunt guy that worked on the, on the series, and he in turn gave me the phone number of a guy in Vancouver. And uh, so when I got back to Vancouver, I, uh, I made the phone call and uh, had a couple meetings with some of the, the local guys. And I think it was about less than a month later, I was working on my first movie, uh, Superman 3. Uh, in uh, Calgary, Alberta. That is a trip. What was the first stunt that you remember performing professionally? Well, so that would have, it was on uh, Superman 3, and there's a big uh, refinery disaster in Superman 3, and, and uh, <laughs> um, so they blew out a corner of the building, and I was one of the firemen who were nearby that got blown over, so that was my actual first <laughs> stunt on film. I was wondering if I was really going to get blown sure, up. Sure, yeah. I mean, I back then imagine. they were using real, they were burning car tires to put up the ambient smoke. No way. If, if you know how bad that is for you. Yeah, uh, exactly, right? Uh, oh yeah, my it's surprising they got away with it. But Did you find that you ended up leaning towards a certain uh, specialized version of uh, some stunts? That you, were you a car chase guy? Were you a fire guy? Were you what? Uh, when I started out, uh, you, you wanted to do, be able to do something of everything. Sure. So I uh, learned, you know, I, I, I was quite well known for cars and uh, fights. And again, because of my size, I got cast as bad guys, you know, the thug, henchman number one, thug number two, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, but, I, you know, I did everything. So I did high falls, fights, fires, cars, car stunts, and, and uh, I learned, you know, from other stuntmen and, and uh, budget rent-a-car. <laughs> what was the closest call you've had? As it wasn't, a budget. It yeah. wasn't budget. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> closest call as a stuntman. Uh, the closest call is a stuntman. It's uh, everybody. Similar question is, well, you know, what's the most dangerous stunt you've done? And the most dangerous stunt you can do is the one that goes wrong, because nobody's supposed to get hurt doing stunt work. But when things go wrong, they can go really wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was doing a car chase on the side of a mountain in an uh, an open jeep. It, it had a roll bar, but it didn't come up past uh, the top of my head, <clears throat> and uh, a lap belt. And uh, we were doing a sequence where I was supposed to bump this guy off the side of the road and he was supposed to slide this way and I was supposed to drive by him and instead of going this way he turned into me and my jeep uh, hit the front of his car flipped upside down landed on the roll bar oh uh, and uh, then went back on the wheels and went off the side of the mountain uh, partway down the side of the mountain and then it, it stopped itself because I was kind of knocked senseless and it idled itself back up onto the road and everybody on the crew thought I had torn the top of my head off because I was wearing a wig and it had peeled it back and it was flapping up like this. And I remember hearing women scream and, and uh, people running towards me and this Jeep's leaking gas all over the place. And I'm, I, I'm sitting there just trying to take it, take it all in. My elbow really hurts. And I, so I move real slow. I go, did I break my neck? What, what have I done to myself kind of thing? And luckily I just, uh, I fractured my elbow because when the Jeep flipped, I threw my arms up over my head to save my head and uh, actually hit so hard I bent the driver's seat back and uh, the windshield down and uh, tore the face off the watch I was wearing on the pavement. Oh my God, man. And, uh, and the leather jacket. That and would have been my last day as a stuntman. I would have been, that's it. You know what? I, I, I came back the next day and uh, we finished the car chase. <laughs> You're a tough mf -er, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk about your foray into the Friday the 13th world, right? That happened with Jason Takes Manhattan. So talk about just getting into that. Yeah. So, um... 
I remember I got the call and, and uh, the, the first call I got was from Randy Sheveldavid, who was the production manager. And, and he said, hey, Ken, do you want to play Jason and be the stunt coordinator on uh, Jason Takes Manhattan? And uh, I didn't get a chance to get back to him right away. He got, he got back to me and he goes, he goes, he goes uh, we made a deal with the guy that played Jason before and he's going to play Jason in this one. So we just want you to be the stunt coordinator on it. <clears throat> I said, all right. So I went in and, and um, knowing I, I'd end up doubling the guy. So I was, I was the uh, stunt coordinator on the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't a bad deal. Um, and, uh, and I got a day, I put myself in for a day as the fry cook, whether you, I don't know if you guys know that or not, but uh, the fry cook who Jason throws over the uh, counter and into the mirror and, and dies. I think I think Kane and I are the only two guys that have played Jason and been killed by Jason. Right, exactly. <laughs> killed each other. <laughs> what did you notice about, I, I mean, I guess it applies to both that and Freddy versus Jason. As far as like the DNA or the spirit of a Jason movie that hits a little different from other projects that you've worked on, maybe there's a, a shared aesthetic or tone that is unique to the franchise. I, th I think if that if that would be anything, it would be just the fan support. It is such a big deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jason is a worldwide character and Part uh, of pop culture, right? Exactly. So anytime you have that going for you, I mean, it's like Alien, Predator. You know, uh, uh, you can build a movie around that character because they're so popular. People want to see him again and again and again and again. And uh, so that's that to me is the big difference. Just is you guys is the fan support that uh, that we get from you. Hell yeah. So we get into this mashup of Freddy versus Jason, and people have been talking about and wanting this forever. It goes back to like the 1940s, even when monster mashup movies were done, and you know who would beat who, Dracula or Frankenstein, that kind of thing. And people, of course, would do this with the biggest monsters in in modern history, and Freddy and Jason. You can't get much bigger than that. So when they started down this process, it was. 16 different writers, $6 million spent on script after script after script. Rumors, over 40 directors, apparently Guillermo del Toro was considered at one point, Peter Jackson, Rob Bottin, special effects guy from The Thing and all those great movies, was, was going to be uh, something he directed at one point. And uh, it ended up being finally, finally made with this script that uh, Mark Swift and Damien Shannon uh, came up with. What do you think? Well, first of all, I want you to, I, I'm sure you've heard some of the wild concepts that came before Freddy versus Jason. What are some of the ones that you recall or that you've learned about uh, just doing the convention circuit even that, that happened? I actually haven't heard of, the, of too many of the other versions. I know there were like 10 other scripts. Yeah. Uh, but the other versions, you guys would probably know more than I do. Um, yeah, it, 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 I think what happened with, when, you, when they try that hard, I mean, they, they looked, I mean, having Ronnie Yu, a Hong Kong director, take on an iconic character like Freddie, or iconic characters like Freddie and Jason, <clears throat> I mean, uh, I, I think if you said to, you know, you guys, oh, we're going to hire a Hong Kong director to come do Freddie versus Jason, we're going to go, What? But that added so much flavor to Freddy sure. versus Jason uh, in very subtle ways. Um, so they they just kept going and going and going till they thought they had it right. And a big one of the, the Jeff Katz was one of the producers on one of the people that really pushed to get Freddy versus Jason made. Um, and I, I think that he had a really big influence on it because he was a big fan. I remember when I met him after I'd been cast and stuff, he was so excited, uh, you know, just like a little kid. And uh, he was so excited for the project because he knew how big it you know, was for the fans to have this 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 uh, crossover. And, and the first time I ever saw the movie was uh, in Austin, Texas outside in an outdoor field with a giant screen um, with 2,000 fans there. Oh, wow. And it was the first time I'd ever seen the movie. And Robert and I go there. We had some great barbecue. Gets dark. We watch the movie, and uh, the fans are going crazy. I mean, we got to, the Jason fans are, are, you know, throwing their gloves up in the <laughs> yeah. air, and the Jason fans are throwing their masks up in the air. And uh, Robert and I are just looking at each other going, this is fantastic. I mean, we, we just couldn't have hoped you know, sure. for, a, for a better uh, turnout of the movie and stuff. So, and it, and it doesn't seem to have disappointed a lot of the fans. Everybody's always going to have little things that they don't like, but in general, people seem to like the movie. And uh, the fact that uh, you guys are all coming 
coming out listening to me 20 years later uh you know i just makes me appreciate it all the more and i i thank you for it <laughs> i was noting i was noting backstage that literally the day after that happened they flew to L.A., and uh, there was a, a talk show on K-Rock, a radio station that I work at, and my wife and co-host Lauren works, uh, worked at when I first met her, and it was called Love Line with Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla. <laughs> and who shows up that next day after the premiere but Ken and Robert to give sex advice to callers? <laughs> Freddie and Jason giving sex advice. It's online. You can hear the whole thing. So, but the funny thing is my, my wife is terrified of Freddy Krueger. She's been trying traumatized since she was a little girl with Freddie. She didn't want to go in because Freddie was there. Robert England was there. And uh, Dr. Drew was like, no, no, this is how you're going to get over your trauma. You go and talk to him. He's just a normal guy. And Robert will behave. <laughs> right? So he told, Dr. Drew told Robert this while my wife was getting coffee for, for him. And she comes back with the coffee and he's got the glove on. And he swipes her back and he goes, thanks for the coffee, you bitch. <laughs> and that was it, man. She is done. Done. I, I, I think Robert, he, he threw the, the uh, uh, Freddie laugh in there, too. Oh, hell yeah. And, and she ran, ran out of the room. And I, I was telling him, <laughs> I, he told me this story. And I go, oh, I remember that. He goes, I've told people that story over and over again. <laughs> because Robert was just playing with her. He just loved it. <laughs> I want to get into the casting first, but just while we're on this note, what were some of the like other bizarre things that you got a chance, or very cool things you got a chance to do while promoting this movie? You know, one, I think the 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 greatest time I had was uh, right after the movie came out. Robert and I went to Europe to promote it uh, with his wife Nancy, yeah. and, and um, we got to travel to. Paris and Amsterdam and oh, wow. England and uh, Sweden and it was just this amazing journey and Robert and Nancy just took me under their wings and Robert's been everywhere everybody knows him he can't go to a restaurant or a hotel where people don't recognize him so anytime we went out for dinner we got the, like the you know the best seats in the restaurant <laughs> yeah. and all this attention and uh, I think the most fun we had though was when uh, we ended up in uh, Amsterdam and uh, Robert he goes he goes uh, I, I'm gonna take you to the hotel I always stay at it's uh, the Pulitzer the Pulitzer in, in uh, Amsterdam so he takes me to this beautiful hotel and, and uh, we have a great time there. We go out for the evening and uh, we may or may not have wandered into a coffee shop in Amsterdam. Sure. And, yeah. And uh, of course, everybody yeah. recognizes Robert. And it was just one of those magical nights where we had such a good time. It was just the, the high point, I think, of that whole, uh, whole experience. And uh, I, you know, I, I got a, a glimmer into Robert's life and, and uh, his globetrotting ways and stuff. Like I said, there isn't a good restaurant restaurant or good hotel he doesn't know but that was it was just kind of surreal the whole thing for me because my background in stunt work was you know uh, you didn't tell people you did stunts for yeah. them yeah. Uh, back in those days if you got hurt you kind of went out behind the trailer and collapsed you know um, so to, to get all this recognition um, was just uh, bizarre to me and and uh, but you know Robert I had Robert and Nancy to walk me all through it and oh, stuff so so, so it was a great experience so we'll go back to the beginning of how this all began for how this journey began for you and getting cast in Freddy versus Jason. So I actually, I went in for the stunt coordinating job and I'm sitting with the line producer and he, I'm, he knows that I worked on number eight and, but he's not really listening to what I'm saying. And he's kind of looking at me going, and finally he just says, he goes, he goes, would you be interested in auditioning for Jason? And I said, well, what about Kane? And he goes, well, we've, we're gonna, we've decided we're going to go a different way. We've been looking at all kinds of people. You know, they're really worried about movement. And I heard that, the, I think he's told me that they were auditioning uh, uh, ballet people. And, Interesting. And all kinds of people. They auditioned a lot of people. And uh, so I said, sure, I'll, I'll audition for it. And uh, the audition was, they read the opening scene where the girl is swimming in the lake. And they did a close-up of my eyes in this really cheap mask. <clears throat> and then they had me walk around the room. And that was it. <laughs> they showed that to Ronnie Yu, and I had the job. Wow. And what, what some people don't know is that Kane actually does make a cameo in Freddy vs. Jason. I yeah, I, I did. I heard that uh, in a, a clip from one of the other movies that they put in. Or? That's right. It was in the, in the mental hospital. 
some very sharp-eyed fans opening weekend noticed that Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 3, Leatherface, shows up on a TV screen. And in that particular scene, I mean, Kane was the stunt coordinator of Texas Chainsaw 3. And in that scene that they show, he was the stunt double for Leatherface in that exact scene. So technically, Kane was in Freddy vs. Jason, after all, which is just wild, man. It's a small industry. So what were the first steps of progress as far as, like, building the character that Ronnie you like the vision of Jason that Ronnie you wanted to build how much attention was spent on movement and performance the the for for Ronnie the movement was really it, it, the the big thing about the movement is he wanted Jason to move so slow until he did something because he wanted to accentuate the violence of of of, of the movement and uh, that was really, really hard to to sure. move to move slowly. And he, you know, he would call me out for you too fast, too fast. Um, but uh, when we talked about the character and stuff, I said, do you, you know, do you want to recreate any of the other movements from any of the other Jasons and stuff? No, no. He he had his own mind and his own vision. And uh, he, you know, Jason is this sort of slow walking. Uh, slow moving thing that uh, all of a sudden will take your head off yeah and uh, so uh, we worked on that a little bit and then uh, shot some video for him and uh, he seemed happy with it and I remember the first night I worked was the walk uh, down Elm Street and uh, they were shooting me from behind the shadow on the on the road and stuff and they're like okay you got the speed right now just don't sway when you walk and I said how do you not sway when you walk you know put put me on wheels or something like that when I have to transfer weight from one leg to another you know it's gonna sway so that's how particular they were about it uh, especially in the beginning very interesting how about you like the acting part of Jason underneath that mask what are you thinking? Are you putting yourself in the emotional place of Jason Voorhees and thinking I have to kill to avenge my mom's death and you know my own? Are, are you? Is that going through your head? You know, you can't fake it. You can't just put on the costume and the mask and stand there. Uh, you, it's it's so subtle body language, and because Jason doesn't say anything, everything he communicates is through body language. Uh, you know, if like uh, if I'm gonna. If I'm angry and I'm going to come at somebody, you know, my body posture is going to be forward. If I'm, if I'm, you know, held back, my body posture is going to be back. Um, when we did the uh, the scene where Jason has to, you know, shake and and uh, be scared, yeah, uh, you know, you got to sell all that with with your with your body and, and your you know your shoulders come up a bit and you and you have to shake harder to sell it for the camera and and uh, so it's all part of it is and I, you know I've had experience because I've had to double actors and simulate their movements and and things like that so developing a body posture and movements for Jason was something that we did early on you know in the movements to to get that. But, uh, yeah, you can't fake it. Uh, you know, it'd be late at night and I'd be in the lake or something like that. And, and you're tired and, and uh, you know, they, people can see it. They see it if you're not playing the character, even with all that on. Even if the only thing they could see of me was my eye, yeah. one eye. Because the other eye was prosthetic that was glued to the mask. So I could only see out one eye. Uh, but even with all that on, you, you know, you have to be in character. Talk about meeting Robert for the very first time. The first time I met Robert was uh, in the makeup trailer. So I, I walk into the trailer, and he's in the middle of getting all his four hours of makeup on. And, uh, and I introduced myself. I said, hi, Robert, I'm Ken. I'm going to be playing Jason. He goes, he goes, oh, he goes, I'll be seeing you now for the rest of my life. <laughs> I, go, I go, why is that? And he goes, conventions. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> It's a great first meeting. <laughs> so playing opposite, I mean, obviously Freddy Krueger, the character, has so much swagger. Uh, there's so much thought and choreography that goes into the way he moves and the, the way he will click a claw on the side of a rail or grab a part of the boiler room. It's one finger at a time. And just he's got this, this attitude in the way he moves that just makes everybody scared to death of him and also fall in love with him at the same time. You playing Jason in those scenes with Robert, and he's doing these things, and it, right in front of you in those scenes, does that ever inspire you in any way? Are you ever doing things opposite of what he's doing that you never really thought that you might do just because you're feeding off of his energy in those scenes? 
it, it well it always helps when the other person is in character sure. and, and and giving you that to play off of and and uh, I think Robert will tell you this but he he sort of got a lot of his body movement from Fosse the uh, dance choreographer he's a famous New York dance yeah. choreographer and Robert kind of uh, stole a little from him and that's why he looks so elegant in some of those in some of those movements and stuff right. but that's all you know Freddie and I can feed off that as Jason because you know I'm not I'm I'm not a you know, Jason isn't uh, a dancer. You know, he's, yes. he's a meat, he's a meat chopper. Yeah. You know? And uh, so I can use that to play off of Robert and, um, and Robert can use that, use what I do to, to work off me. So it definitely helps. Yeah. Right. It's the irresistible force versus the immovable object is what that is. Yeah. Man. What was your creative life, uh, creative relationship like with Robert in the production process? Do you table read a movie like Freddy versus Jason? Do you talk about, uh, conversations going into a scene, like uh, revealing what the dynamics will be. Do you work on that at all in in the pre-production process? So in pre, I didn't even meet Robert in pre-production. Wow. I, the first, like I said, the first time I met him was was right where you were about to do a on set. set. My, yeah. The first night we both worked together on set. Um, you know, so I think that you know Robert has his character down pat. I mean, you know, he, he's uh, he, uh, Jason isn't going to change him too too much, kind of yeah. thing. Um, so. Uh, we just worked off each other in the moment. Wow. So yeah. he never said like, this is what I'm going to do for this scene. And no. it'd be really cool if he did this. Yeah, or... no. And you know what? It worked out better if we didn't. I mean, unless sure. it, unless there was a safety issue involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, otherwise, it worked better not to do that because, you know, you get more honest reactions. Right, right. Uh, so, so we would go into these situations with the, you know, and Robert would do this more than I would. But, you know, he'd play with the scene more and, and uh, you know, in his movements and where he went in the room and stuff. And, yeah. and uh, um, but yeah, no, it's that was it. The Boo Crew will be right back. For the young counselors at Camp Crystal Lake, Friday the 13th was a very unlucky day. A 24 hour nightmare of horror that could only end in death. Friday, the 13th, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. There's some clips queued up, and I think we're going to go to an example of that dynamic right now in Freddy's boiler room, possibly. Time to put this bad dog to sleep. For good! Not my Take us back to that day, man. Take us back to that day. Well, I mean, it's all. That, I mean, that was the sort of a prelim to the uh, battle at the lake. Yes. Um, but I mean, what fun! Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, some of the uh, special effects when you see them in real life don't you know come off like they do on the screen and stuff. But I mean, I'm in Freddy's boiler room and we're playing, and so yes. it was just a fantastic, surreal experience, you know, to be involved with that. And uh, and Robert, you know, his when he's in character on set, he's just so because he. He'd be sitting beside you and then just you know walk in front of camera and become Freddy. Uh, so that's fun to watch that that switch get flipped. Uh, I'm really I'm sorry that he's not here tonight. I, I I know that you guys must be really really disappointed and and I, I know that we all hope he gets well soon. And and uh, Robert is the type of guy he must have been really sick not to be here because that guy will stay until oh, yeah. Monday oh, signing will, yeah. for people and and uh, <clears throat> really goes the extra yard for stuff. So I know that uh, he must really not be feeling well to have missed uh, not seeing you all tonight. Mm. That's, that's right. right. That's, that's right. right. You, you'll well see him at the next well one. Said. So that scene uh, is a good example. It shows a dream logic that is part of the Freddy's world, right? And you got to experience kind of what that was like. Was there anything about the secret sauce 
behind creating those great moments in the Freddy films that you got to experience and that, that surprised you just in the f- way of in filmmaking, really? I think I think one of the things was was all the, like Ronnie U was big on blood. Sure, sure. <laughs> As you can see, by the, all the blood shooting out of his arm, and in the final battle, we we had all these tubes running up through us, and, and the guys on Hudson sprayers just pumping away and more blood, more blood. I want to see more blood. Uh, but I mean, uh, you know, the special effects have gotten even so much better since since this. Uh, like I say, it'll be a shame if they don't do another Freddy versus Jason at some point. Got to do it, and you got to be Jason, man. You got to do it. So in this movie, Freddy and Jason sport different looks really than they have in any of the other films. Was any of that explained to you, like why your mask looked like the way it did, or any of that going in? Uh, no, we, no, uh, there was no explanation as to the costume because, uh, um, you know, as you can tell, it, it, Jason is dressed differently in this movie than any other. And that, sure. that's all Rob, Ronnie Yu. Yeah. And from what I understand, uh, Ronnie Yu had seen a, a Chinese comic book of uh, Jason. And in that comic book, uh, Jason looked more like the Jason in Freddy vs. Jason. Interesting. And that's where the, the visualization, I think, is what I understand. That's where it came from. So, it, so Jason's taller and, and uh, uh, um, the costume is different. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's never really, it was never really explained in the, in, in the movie. And, the, and the, you know, the mask doesn't have the, the, the mark in it. Oh, from, yes. Yeah, yeah. From the battle the previous along the way. Yeah. So uh, they just uh, sort of started with the base character. And, uh, and built from there, I think. Yeah. Oh, I think the, the, the mask that ends up that you're wearing with the Freddy Claw marks across it is just amazing. Yeah, that, that is the, uh, uh, the classic Freddy versus Jason uh, mask. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the claw marks in it. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. What about the process of just becoming Jason and getting into that costume? You said there was prosthetics involved. What was that process like for you? How long did it take? So, the- it, it, for me, I mean, the Jason costume was actually relatively easy compared to a lot of the costumes I've had to wear because the the head pulled on uh, like a diver's balaclava and they just had to do some makeup around uh, any pieces of my skin that you could see through the mask sure. uh, or through the gloves. So I, you know, put my clothes on, I put the balaclava on, I put the mask on and I was pretty much ready to go right. uh, in like 15 minutes. <clears throat> um, Funny story. Um, we were shooting out at Bunsen Lake, which is was Crystal Lake. And uh, do you know uh, Brian Singer, the director? Quite a big, big name director. He was directing a big action feature in Vancouver at the time. <clears throat> and I'm sitting in my trailer out of the costume waiting, you know, because I had a scene later on. And I get a message on the radio saying, uh, Brian Singer is here and he says he wants to say hi. And I just worked on his movie doing some stunt work. And I thought, this guy doesn't know who I am. I was, you know, I was doing some ND stunts on his movie. But he was a big fan of, of uh, Jason. And so he had brought his buddies out to Bunsen Lake, which is about, you know, an hour's drive outside Vancouver. And in the middle of the night, and uh, I come out of my trailer and I didn't have the costume. And I walk out to these guys and I go, hey, Brian, how you doing? He goes, oh, okay. Hey, Ken. Um, <laughs> I go, you want to see the costume, don't you? <laughs> could you think maybe we could see it? And I go, all right, you guys wait here, and I'll go throw the costume on. You were so disappointed. So I go back to the trailer. I go back to the trailer, and I throw the costume on. And then I snuck out of the trailer, and I went around through the woods and up, came up behind them. Oh, good. Well They're played. all looking off at the trailer well and stuff. Played, and the next thing you know, they t- he turns around, and I'm just standing there in character, you know, looking at him. I got the machete and everything. And, and he goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's just like a little kid and his buddies get all excited and I just stayed in character and they just stood there and walk around me like I was a mannequin and, uh, and they go oh let me see the machete and, and then uh, oh can I put the mask on and alright so but uh, that was that was pretty big to have uh, such a big director uh, come all the way out oh that is cool did Jason have a playlist did you listen to any music to get you (laughs) pumped up as Jason you always hear about actors doing that Uh, I don't know if Jason has a playlist (laughs) but uh, I think there's a couple of songs out there with oh yeah 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 they play that in the makeup room right so a mask of yours from Freddy vs. Jason sold at an auction last year that I was watching for a hundred thousand dollars and uh, one of your screen match costumes and the undersuit, 
30 grand. And at the end of the month, one of your machetes is going up for auction. And it's interesting because it's a different scale, apparently, that, I don't know, I guess there's a scene even to make you look even bigger. They scaled the machete down a little bit. To my knowledge, I mean, of the machetes that I used, they were all the same size. They were made from various things. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what the smaller machete Could have been one of the stunt doubles or something. I don't know. But that said, have you kept anything yourself? Over? Did you get to take a mask home or anything? I have... Uh, well, I have a mask that was made by the, the, the fellow who uh, made all the masks for the movie has, has since passed away. But before, at the end of the movie, or during the movie, I said, can I have one? I want one of the masks. Yeah, hell yeah. And then he found out what the masks, how valuable they are. And he says, I can't give you one of the masks. Oh. But he made me one. He, so he made me uh, uh, with the claw mark and oh, the blood cool. and everything. And it looks just like the one in the movie. And, and, uh, and like I say, since he's passed away, and they just had a big auction for all the stuff that he had in his shop uh, just a few months ago or whatever. But the uh, props guy on the show and I had worked together quite a few times, and I don't think I'm getting him in trouble by telling him this, but he gave me one of the uh, rubber uh, stunt machetes. So I have a screen-used uh, uh, rubber stunt machete oh, from that's the movie, which, which I cherish and uh, have heard that it's it's worth quite yeah. a bit. Now. Yeah, I guess that was probably the, the great Bill Terzakis who worked on that yes. film. Yeah, yeah. passed Bill away. Bill Terzakis. That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, what would a movie uh, about the world's two biggest slashers be without the kills? So we're going to roll a clip featuring a montage of some of the best kills from Freddy vs. Jason right out. favorite when you fold up Trey that, in that, that bed. They, yeah. they made that into part of the Universal Horror Nights maze, actually, with that scene in it. Uh, I, yeah, it was so cool, man. I love that kill. That's my favorite kill, because every everybody expects to get, you know, that he's going to get stabbed with the machete yeah. or something like that, but the folding of the bed was just a great coup de gras. <laughs> and you've kicked that guy's ass on screen before, right? In Joyride 3, right? That's Jesse right. Hutch. Yes. Yeah, it was, well, actually, I think Joyride 3 was after that. Okay. After it? Yeah, I think it was after it. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now. I'm sorry, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I got him, Jesse too. Jesse Hutch, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing, man. What would be the most complicated setup kill from Freddy vs. Jason for you? Um, probably the one where we uh, cut the cut the kid in half in the hallway because that was a mix of live action and uh, a dummy okay. that had to be set up because when I cut that dummy in half it was basically held together with toothpicks so oh that they God. knew that the uh, blade would go through it so uh and i didn't want to ruin that by not going hard enough or uh, uh, and or going too soft on, with the with the cut of the machete and sure. stuff like that but that uh, because that was a big big setup um 
so that would be the most technical of the yeah, kills, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. You always wonder how they pulled it. Like, even the bed scene. Like, is that is there a real actor who's incorporated into that? Or is that a whole prosthetic body so that, of the kid? Uh, prosthetic lower body, I okay. think. Okay. And then oh, cool. uh, the real actor, the uh, upper body. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's so cool. Yeah. Was there a kill that was filmed, that was on the script, that didn't make it into the film? No, I think they all, everything we, everything, all the kills we did, uh, all made it in. Uh, I always wondered why um, when I cut the guy in the half in the hallway and then I smack Kelly Rowland with my machete and she goes flying into a tree. Why didn't, why didn't Kelly Rowland get cut in half? <laughs> Somebody tell me. What was your favorite scene with Robert? I, I, I guess it was probably the fight scene at the end because it was the climax of the whole movie. Robert was really, really into it. I mean... Uh, we, we were in a burning building and, and Robert was cool, calm, collected, uh, just great to work with in that sequence. And, uh, you know, we had to do so much work together. Uh, th that was the most work we did together in the movie, right? Because uh, there's the pinball sequence in uh, uh, Freddy's, <laughs> yeah. Freddy's world and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, where Jason gets his ass kicked. But, <laughs> but I, maybe, maybe the reason I like the big battle at the end is because I got to do some ass kicking. <laughs> All right, want to see my favorite scene? We're going to roll it right now. Couple questions about that scene for you. First of all, how did the how, what were the mechanics of the gag of impaling Freddy with his own glove arm? So when you see the claw come out of his chest, that's a visual effect. Okay. Um, and then they you know put a prosthetic in uh, after the fact. But for the for the claw bursting out of his chest, <clears throat> um, that was a that was a, a, a visual effect. Um, yeah, it's a good blend, but I mean, how clever is that to think of best. killing Freddy, stabbing Freddy in the heart with his own claw? That is great. And then you took a header into the water, and that's it. Were you still underwater during that, or when they cut away, are you... Oh, no, but uh, no, they, yeah, they had cut away from me by then, but um, the, the hard part of that sequence, because there's a, a shot where Jason sinks into the water, and we shot that, not at the lake, but in a, a, a water tank sure. in the city and stuff, and to make the water safe, they got to chlorinate the shit out of it, and it's got lots of debris floating around, dust and all that kind of stuff uh, um, from the set and from other various things and Ronnie wanted to see me sink into the uh, abyss and try and keep my eyes open as, no I, as I sank oh my god and, and uh, after the first take my eyes were just like burning and uh, so that was probably one of the hardest things I had to do was yeah. try and keep my eyes open while you know, while the chlorine is bleaching them out yeah no yeah. kidding and we see this wonderful cast, you know, Monica Keena right there, Jason Ritter, Catherine Isabel, Kelly Rowland, all these amazing people. What was the, what was the kind of the general vibe on set when you guys weren't filming and, and all these young, young stars were you know, hanging out with you guys? The kids, I call them kids, they're all young adults and everything, but they, they, they bring a lot of energy to the set. I mean, I, I even remember on number eight, uh, um, Jason Takes Manhattan, all the, we had all the kids on the, on the ship. And the, the, the energy is the same. They're excited to be there. They know that this is a, you know, some, a couple of big actors have uh, yeah. made it out of the franchise and stuff. So it's not beyond being discovered being in one of these movies. And uh, so they're, they take it seriously and, uh, and they work hard, but they, they, they have fun too. And uh, that, that brings a great uh, energy to it. There's so much tremendous stunt work 
in this film. It got nominated for two stunt awards as well. How involved did you get in the stunt work on this film? <clears throat> you know, when I, when I met with the producer, they told me I had the part. And I said, uh, okay, um, I want to do the fire gag in the cornfield. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, the only stunt I wanted to do in the movie was the fire gag in the cornfield. And he goes, Ken, we're hiring you as an actor. Uh, we, we're going to have a stunt double for you. We're going to have a second unit. And uh, we're probably going to end up shooting that fire gag on second unit. Um, so I don't think I can give that to you. I, I knew that would get nominated for a World Stuntman's Award. And I was so disappointed. And a good friend of mine, Glenn Ennis, ended up doing it and uh, did get nominated for a World Stunt Award. And he lost out to Last Samurai. He got ripped off because, <laughs> because in Last Samurai, there's a big sequence where all these guys are on, they're rolling these big balls of fire and there's a big fire. But that was all uh, computer generated fire for the most part. They put a little bit of fire on the, on, the, on the stunt guys, but it wasn't full burns. I think there was eight or ten full burns involved in that sequence in wow. the uh, in the uh, in the cornfield and uh because of all the uh, fire retardant and and uh, fire gel and stuff like that glenn couldn't really see where he was going he had a an earbud in and they would be on the radio saying okay come forward come forward come forward and meanwhile he's just up and yeah, smoke he's he's, uh, he's on fire and um uh, so I was disappointed I didn't get to do that one. But uh, the last night of filming, uh, um, they were, you know, trying, the last night of filming, they're trying to, they got a little insert unit here and a stunt unit here. And, uh, and they came to me and they said, you know what, Kenny, they go, well, we got these, the scene where the hand comes out of the ground, I think it was, and, and uh, Glenn's in the right wardrobe for that. And then we got the, <clears throat> the scene where Jason goes flying out the back of the van when the van's flipping. Would you do that? <laughs> so I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> I guess I'm expendable now. <laughs> it's the last night of filming. <laughs> so I did the ratchet out of the back of the van. Would you uh, tend to like go and show up when they were doing some of the other stunts? So when you had a stunt double just to see what the process was like? The hard part, well, the hard part about that is because most of the stunts are on second unit and we're on main unit. So I can't be in two places at once, which is the whole reason I wasn't uh, doing uh, any of the other stunts that they did on second unit. But um, um, I was happy that when when it came down to the the fight scene at the end and stuff like that, I got to do all the fighting. And and, uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a it was hard for a veteran old stuntman to, sure. to step down to the to the younger guy and let him do, do that stuff. But, you know, it was what it was. I think it turned out well. Yeah, for sure. What about the fight scenes in general? How long did it take to film basically to film the whole sequence? It's a pretty long fight. Yeah, sequence. I think it was like five, six nights at Bunsen Lake for the finals uh, for the final sequence. Yeah. And um, that was, you know, very involved. Lots of uh, stuff flying around, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the compressed air can- canisters flying through the air. I got hit by one, <laughs> but luckily they're made of foam, so it didn't hurt too much. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was about five or six nights, I think, if, wow. I, if I remember correctly, uh, to get all that. And how does it work with the, I mean, because you're getting hacked with all over the place and Robert's getting hacked too. Blood's flying out of you guys. Are you guys like loaded? Is your costumes loaded with blood squibs or how does that work? Is that after effects? VFX? Well, if we're... Uh, they would... No, not blood blood squibs, but we have blood hoses. Oh, okay. And the hoses... So the hoses have uh, holes cut in them and... and uh, so there's someone on the other end of that. Yeah, like I said, like a Hudson sprayer. It's, uh, you know, you might use it in your garden to spray, you know, uh, uh, weeds or something like yeah. that <clears throat> but they pump that up and it goes into a hose and and the hose runs th- through the costume and uh like i said ronnie could not get enough blood so so you're coated in this uh it's 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 syrup with red food coloring in it okay basically corn syrup with re- with red food dye and it dyes your skin and so at the end of the night you're completely red and uh, the only way to get it off is with uh, shaving cream oh, really? <laughs> shaving cream so you're in the shower with edge gel uh, you know washing off you're getting the, the, the red out <laughs> I was playing a game of uh, Freddy vs. Jason trivia the other day that I found in my garage and there was a question <laughs> that said 
that you actually got burned in one of the fire sequences during the fight scene and like caught on fire literally. Do you remember that? Yeah, Is that yeah, a true thing? Yeah, I, I didn't get burned, burned, burned per se, but what happened was, so there's a sequence where the, the, the sheriff or whatever, yeah, we're in the, there's a control panel and I, uh, throw him or chop the control panel and it sparks up. Um, yeah. Yeah. And all the there sparks came off and, and the jacket I was wearing was made of burlap and it had all this, uh, uh, you know, things they put on it to um, age it and uh, there was no fire retardant on it. So the sparks hit the jacket and the jacket went up in flames. And I remember standing there seeing the flames licking up in front of the mask and knowing I had you know, a few seconds before I had, had to worry too much. And I, everybody was just standing around staring at me, kind of in shock. And I, and I just standing there on fire and I go, a little help. <laughs> <laughs> and the effects boy ran, ran over and grabbed the... It the, probably just sounded like... Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, a little help. <laughs> All right, we're going to play one last clip. This needs no introduction. The inevitable question, obviously. <laughs> Who do you think won? <laughs> I always say I won by a head. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Robert just got me back. I spilled water on myself. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, I think, uh, I mean, I feel confident in saying I won the battle, but I don't think the war is over and, and uh, probably will never be. But, um, well, yeah. that's, that's good news because that means there, there's got to be more Freddy versus Jason. The, the movie did so well. Did it surprise you guys that there wasn't a sequel right off the bat or was there a sequel idea right off the they bat? They came to us right after and uh, Jeff Katz yeah. uh, came to Robert and I right after and Ronnie Yu and said, hey, we want to keep the team together and uh, we want to do Freddy versus Jason. Jason versus Ash. And oh. uh, so that was uh, a serious conversation. We almost had all three of us here this weekend. It's a shame, but uh, oh, that would have been cool. I, everybody <laughs> wanted that to happen. I mean, everybody wanted that to happen. Uh, Anyway, and it didn't. <laughs> Any reason why it didn't? Like, did it, it got pretty far, obviously. I think, what I, th I think what I heard was that Sam Raimi wanted to do something uh, else with his character. And, and uh, uh, it's so hard. It was hard to put Freddie and Jason together. Uh, and to make that happen, I think, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I, so uh, that's all I heard about it. It was that uh, it was Raimi's decision. And, and we all have to live with that. But. Would yep. you play Jason again? Of course I would. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's, a, I think, the most fun I've had. And I got to end, I want to end on this last question. Unfortunately, we have to end this. But the weigh-in in Vegas. Oh, that Did was you, so you got fun. to do that? that was, yes. Yeah, and yeah. Talk about that experience. That was hilarious. So they, they came up with this great idea of, of introducing the movie and, and uh, me and, and Robert uh, in Las Vegas in this huge theater <clears throat> as a weigh-in for, for a, a title fight. So, so we, they had this suite for us to all get into makeup and hair and everything. And, and, uh, and so Robert's getting into his makeup and I'm getting into my costume. Even Michael Buffer's there, <laughs> warming up his voice and stuff like that. And then we go down, and, and uh, it, I didn't realize how big the theater was and, and how many. And it was jammed with people. It was just fantastic. And uh, so, of course, they, they introduced Robert first. And Robert, he gets to say everything, of course. And, of course. and uh, he just lit everybody up and got it going. And at some point, we had it set in the dialogue. You know, I'd you know, jump up from the table and go at him. And, and uh, so it was 
was just so much fun to do. The reception was, I mean, that and, the, and seeing the movie with the 2,000 fans in the field in Austin, Texas, easily two of the best memories I have. Oh, my of, God. Uh, I can only imagine. Yeah. All right. Well, as we send you off here, what are you doing next? What can we see you in next? I'm, I'm kind of semi-retired these days. I'm focusing more on, on acting and, and uh, writing scripts. That's uh, great. I've got a script out right now that's being looked at. So uh, with any luck, that'll get made this year. Horror, and, and horror type? It script? is a horror. Yeah. Very good. We're excited. It is. You're in the right place for that, man. All right, everybody. Give it up for the legend here. Ken Kurzinger. Jason Voorhees himself, man. Thank you, everybody, for coming. This is so fun. Have a great Monster Palooza. Keep it going. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 388. Special thanks to our guest, Ken Kurzinger, and the folks at Monster Palooza. At time of release, look out for Son of Monster Palooza going down at the Burbank Marriott, if you're in the L.A. area, October 13th through 15th. Production tracks provided by the great Power Man 5000. Till next time, on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, it is the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew, for horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy, for disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.